Good morning. Welcome into In Focus here on a Thursday, News Radio KMAN. And uh, today we get updates from Fort Riley and the Manhattan Housing Authority coming up here today. And uh, first segment of Fort Riley, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Rockin' Riley Music and Street Eats. And in to talk about that is Ken Roynan. He's the marketing director for the uh, Fort Riley Family Morale, Welfare, and Recreation, otherwise uh, MWR. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, tell us, uh, what is the Rock and Riley Music and Street Eats? Is that a, a bunch of food trucks, or what do we got? Well, it's, uh, it's set around food trucks. It's our semi-annual family fun event that's being held next Friday outside of AFES uh, from 5 to 8 p.m., and it's free to attend. It will include food trucks, which is the mainstay of it. It's uh, folks love that the smoke pouring out brings them in, and from as far they're coming from as far away as Kansas City this time, and as local as the Fort Riley Army food truck. It will also include an outdoor gaming area being operated by the USO, bounce houses and a beer tent being operated by MWR, and a large host of vendors offering lots of free stuff from a color TV from MWR to free boxes of chocolates from Russell Stover. Uh, We'll also have some live music provided by the Army Band Ensemble and a whole bunch of prizes being given away. Food and drink must be purchased, but everything else that we're doing there is going to be free. Uh, We're having our first annual car meet at this event this year, which is also free and open to everyone who wants to participate. Okay, so a fun family-themed event here coming up at... Uh, Fort Riley, where will this take place uh, on post? Uh, it, this is going to be at the uh, parking lot in front of the Athies. So the, the car show will be right in front of that. And uh, there's a large field about the size of a football field uh, where we'll have the food trucks and the rest of the event at. All right, and you said semi-annual. So th- this has happened before. Uh, I, I know that we've had the last year's kind of a wash here. So when was the last time you guys held this? It was last August. Okay. Uh, and it was a really hot day, so, and uh, but it cooled into the evening, and, and we had probably twice as many people as we were expecting. We were hoping for 100, and, and it was at least four. At, we were hoping for 100, maybe 200, and it, we had close to 400 people come out to it. So uh, we're expecting at least that this year probably much much more okay well what can you tell us about the specific food trucks uh, if if any uh, that'll be on hand well like i said but the army food truck will be out there uh, which is one of the most up-to-date technological uh, food service operations being offered here on the base Uh, it'll be serving up some good american food like burgers dogs and drinks Uh, we'll also have some food trucks out of kent out of Kansas, as far away as Kansas City, including uh, Saddlejack's Barbecue, Eat Schmidt, good, just good foods, and Tina's. But we'll also have lots of sweets, including uh, items provided by Shivers, Kings, Rad Boy Treats, and Top Pop. So lots of goodies, including cotton candy, ices, and ice cream. Okay, a lot of fun, good stuff, and uh, you know, in a week from. I guess a week from tomorrow, Friday the twenty second. Here, uh, it, sorry, just the month is flying by to me, so <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it's possible that we're talking late April already. But uh, so, what what kind of led to the creation of this event? Well, we we wanted to have something out on the base. Uh, we were we were heading into our or well into our second year of COVID, and and lots of things were not happening. But it was it was coming to a time where being outside was 
was something that was more accepted and we decided we need to start doing something for the folks get them out of the house give them something to do um, and so we threw this together we used a lot of elements out on the base to include AFES, DECA, uh, USO uh, we made a collaborative effort to bring everything together and provide something uh, for, for the folks. And the food trucks was a huge hit. Um, like we said, it, it had been a long time since we had done something like this. And uh, it was well accepted, and people were pouring in and out all evening. Uh, it's a short three-hour event, so to have that many people come out and do something, it was great. Now, a lot of people will be asking, you know, do you have to be active duty military, or can anybody come? No, no, this is definitely open to... Uh, everybody who wants to uh, come out and visit us, uh, especially the local communities. And part of the reason I'm out here in Manhattan this morning talking about it, hopefully folks will come out and visit us. Uh, in fact, uh, there's going to be a lot of other things going out there. If you're interested in seeing uh, what Fort Riley does besides uh, Soldier, uh, we're going to have a bunch of uh, things set up at the event to show folks what we can also do on Fort Riley. Uh, so we welcome everybody. And there's actually something that was created here about a year ago. COVID brought a lot of things uh, up to light and ideas and thoughts to make things better. And one of the things they've done is they've set up at the Fort Riley webpage that anybody can go to. Uh, you can request to get a pass to go on Fort Riley in advance. Uh, so it's a 24-hour pass so that you can go on the base and, and do what you want to do. And the day of that you're going there, you won't have to stop at any gate. Uh, to get paperwork processed, you'll be able to just drive up to the gate just as anybody else does and show your uh, ID card and go right through. That's convenience. That's that's nice to hear. So, I mean, that it's a process there, so you save yourself some time. So uh, I, let's go over the, uh, the hours again for this event next Friday. Uh, well, the event itself will be 5 to 8 p.m. Friday evening. Uh, but we'll have folks out there as early as 6 a.m. setting up. And, and we actually marketed that the car show would be open for people to start arriving at 3.30. Uh, however, uh, like I said, we'll have folks out there all day long. So anybody coming out wants to, get, to come into the car show, park their vehicle, uh, they're welcome to do that at any time. The car show is free. Uh, we're going to be giving er the first 100 people that come to the car show a free dash plaque. And anybody that registers into the car show is also going to be entered to win a $500 uh, digital smoker. Uh, so it is free. There is no charge to come into the car show, and there's going to be lots of stuff given away. Uh, something else I didn't mention as well is anybody that comes to the event, uh, we're going to be raffling off a bunch of prizes to include a 40-inch uh, color smart TV, $100 uh, gift card from Academy Sports, uh, many more gift cards and other prizes as well. All right. So lots of uh, reasons to come out to this event next week. Uh, is there anything else the MWR office is involved with that you got coming up? Uh, not off the top of my head. I think we're really focused on knocking this one out next Friday, and we're excited. We hope everybody can come out. All right. Sounds good. Well, Ken, appreciate you coming out and talking about it, and we hope you have a very successful event next week. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Stay tuned. We're going to continue in focus in a moment. We'll have uh, Big Red One Year of Family uh, being previewed next here on News Radio KMAN. And we're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN, continuing our Fort Riley segments here on the show. And uh, got a couple guests joining us here in studio to talk about the Big Red One Year of Family, which continues on uh, right now. Lieutenant 
Colonel James Key is in studio with us. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. You're absolutely welcome. Uh, Major Chris Weinrich also here, and we've spoken before. Good morning. I'm glad to be back. This is a great morning. Thank you. Yeah, you drew the drew the straw here, huh? Oh, yeah. Glad to be back. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we've talked about the Big Red One Year of Family uh, before here, but just to recap, uh, for those that don't know, what does this uh, – what's the purpose of this? Yeah, the Big Red One Year of Family, it's a year-long campaign. It started at the beginning of the year in January of 2022. And so the purpose uh, of the program is to build strong and resilient families, uh, to educate families regarding the various resources that are available to them on polls, and then to show appreciation to our uh, families uh, on posts as well, to pause and recognize uh, their hard work, their sacrifice. And how do we do it? We do it through a number of events, initiatives, and programs that revolve around the emotional uh, dimension of strength, social, family, physical, and spiritual. And so we have a host of programs and activities that feed into that. And again, the bottom line is to really pause and recognize our families. We know that if we build strong families, then we improve our overall readiness. And so it's been a great campaign so far. All right. Well, good to hear. And uh, tell us a little bit more about yourselves, uh, if you would. Uh, we can start with you, Lieutenant Key. So I have been here at Fort Riley for about two years. Uh, I'm the uh, division chaplain and serve as the lead of uh, this awesome uh, program that uh, the CG, uh, DA Sims, has um, challenged us to execute and keep momentum high. It's been great. It's been a blast. And um, just for point of information, while I'm here in uh, K-State territory, my daughter's at, at KU. So I just want to give her a <laughs> shout out. I know she's listening. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, good, good stuff. Yeah. Major Weinrich, uh, tell us more about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad to be back here at Fort Riley. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and our two kids, Emily and William, we served here from 2016 to 18. And we are glad to be back in the Flint Hills region in Fort Riley. I serve as what's called the family life chaplain, so kind of a counseling type chaplain. And I also serve as a spiritual pillar for the uh, Bro Year of the Family. And it is a fantastic campaign, as Chaplain Key talked about. And it's a great opportunity for our families to get out and really build community. Now, the, uh, the 1st Infantry Division of Fort Riley uh, have been conducting this program for a few months now. Uh, you've talked a little bit about uh, it, it does seem to be working pretty well. Have you had any feedback from folks? Oh, tons of feedback. Yeah, we've had great feedback from soldiers, spouses, and our children. I know last weekend we did a gigantic Easter egg scavenger hunt around Fort Riley. MWR, ACS, Spare Time, the bowling alley there. All these great organizations came, came together to build a community, to get our kids out of the houses, make friends, and eat lots of chocolate, which was great. I know my son, William, who's two, he fell asleep in the car, so he missed out. But our daughter, Emily, loved it. Uh, I had to try most of her chocolate, though. You know how that was. <laughs> well, and those I always talk about these Easter egg hunts. They last all of two minutes. You know, they don't, they're not very long. <laughs> they go fast. They go really fast. Yeah, kids are impressive. Well, uh, that's great here, and, you know, that you're able to do stuff like that. I, I'm sure that really kind of makes soldiers, especially when they're not at their uh, typical home, if they're traveling at a new base or somewhere else, you have that sense of community. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let me just go back. One of the hallmarks of our, of our program has been the buy-in that we're getting from um, 
folk on post, you know, so we have our weekly sync meetings. We have one today. And at that meeting, we have spouses are there, uh, brigade representatives are there, uh, agency representatives on post are also there. And so we get an opportunity to really hear from everyone. So it's not just kind of a one person running the show, uh, but we have a host of individuals who help kind of make the sausage and we leverage everyone's intelligence, everyone's uh, expertise, and and Garrison is involved in it too. So it's really an ensemble. It's a joint enterprise, and that's why I think the campaign is experiencing some early success. And we still have, you know, another level to get to, I believe. And and so the joy is being able to work together as a unit and and, and reach the next level so that the program at the end of the year, when it's complete, will all uh, be happy because of the journey. But more than that, we know that families will have been uh, blessed because of the experience. Well, certainly sounds like a great program. And, uh, you know, I know you talked about the folks that are involved here on post. What about uh, the soldiers that are deployed in Europe right now and other locations? Are they still able to take part in this? Oh, yes. Yeah, they're able to take part of it. Uh, the units uh, downrange in Europe deployed. They come up with events, and also their families will uh, attend events. They'll send photos, they'll send videos, and it really builds a, a morale boost for our soldiers that are deployed. So we're definitely thinking about them. We're thinking about all of our great soldiers around the world, our families, really building a community. This is a great opportunity to build a year of the family. All right. What about uh, some upcoming events you guys have here in April and, and next month in May? Uh, that soldiers and their families can get involved in and, and then how they can do that. One of the great events coming up here um, next Friday, April 22nd at 4 p.m. at the Outdoor Chapel, we will rename the Bluffs uh, area. It's a great ceremony for our, our families, our kids to come out to our soldiers, the community. Come on out to it. It's right across from the division headquarters off of 1st Division Road. And then right afterwards, we're going to all go over to the, uh, the Post Exchange, the PX, over by the, uh, the Trooper Gate and have Rockin' Riley's event with MWR. It's be a fantastic event. That goes from 5 to 8. Uh, cars will be there, tons of food, lots of good times. Come on out, take pictures, take videos, send them to uh, families uh, that are deployed. And this is a good time for us to build our community. That sounds like a great event. Yeah, this is really our first signature event. So uh, we're excited about this because this is kind of the event that uh, it's huge, it's going to be big. And uh, if you ever get a chance to visit Fort Riley and, and really come to that location that we're talking about, it's a beautiful site. You get a chance to really kind of get a panoramic view of Fort Riley. Uh, it's a place to meditate, to take a pause for the cause and just kind of reflect. Uh, and so it's a, it, we're, we're, we're excited about, um, about this event and uh, certainly excited about all the other activities and events that we have as well coming up. All right. Um, any other successes you want to share here about uh, the Big Red One Year of Family that we, we haven't highlighted? Uh, the testimony that we're getting from the feedback that we're getting from participants. I mean, uh, you, can't, you can't make that up. And so people are, are, are sharing stories because of what they feel or what they see when they attend an event. Maybe they're inspired by a guest speaker that we bring you know, on post uh, to share an inspirational story. Or maybe it's the fact that they're at an event and they're sitting next to another spouse who's been through what they've been through. Or maybe it's the joy that we see in a child's eye when they get a chance to 
through the Easter egg hunt or or just be in fellowship with other kids. And so you can't make that up. The testimony, the um, feedback that we're getting from our weekly sync meetings, um, that's a great indication that we're moving in the right direction. We still have more room, uh, uh, you know, to kind of travel down, more space to claim, but we're excited. This has been an awesome mm-hmm. responsibility. I've been in the Army 19 years, and I've never seen a program as comprehensive as the Big Red One Year family. And so to be a part of um, this this program has been extremely significant and gratifying as well. I'm curious once once the year wraps up, will the uh, will they kind of evaluate everything kind of from a broad perspective and and maybe have some some data or something we'll have out? Yeah, and that we're in the process of doing that now. We're always stepping back and and kind of doing our own kind of review each event, each program. Uh, we are we've been able to share this program uh, with people outside of the Fort Riley walls. Um, we're, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, I get phone calls from other uh, chaplains, even uh, commander uh, I've talked to has talked about our program. Hey, I've heard a lot of great things about your program. And so that's a good sign. That tells us that we're, do, we're moving in the right direction. And so at the year, you know, we will, this, this whole program will culminate at the end of the year with a banquet. And um, again, we'll continue to analyze it and see where we go. Uh, the, we, here's what I can say. You can, you know, go installations across the country have some kind of program that focuses on uh, the family because people, it's, we're really in this people first campaign in the United States Army. So you'll see variations of uh, kind of a people, people first campaign that's happening throughout you know, the military. But what we're doing here, I think, is really unique. I think it's special. And uh, we're glad to be a part of it. Very good. Uh, do you have anything else, uh, Major Weinrich, that you want to highlight? Yeah, so I, I loved I got to actually talk to some of the um, wives that are pregnant on Fort, Fort Riley. And a few weeks ago, the USO on Fort Riley, they held an event over at the Riley Conference Center <clears throat> about for uh, giving out free clothes and just getting to let the the upcoming mothers talk and to make friends and uh, to go through like you know what they're experiencing right now being pregnant and it was great. I mean the feedback I heard from some of the uh, upcoming moms were like this was great, this was fun. We got to actually get to meet other pregnant ladies. Hey, I'm not like you know abnormal or like everybody's going through this and they felt connected. They felt great, and they made friends. I also know upcoming, uh, the first week of June, 6 to 10 June. For me, this is, I love it under the spiritual pillar. We have our vacation Bible school coming up at Victory Chapel. It's right over there by the commissary and PX. We'll go from 9 to 12. Tons of kids, tons of fun. Uh, I'm going to probably eat most of the snacks, but it'll be a good time. So this is another opportunity for our community to build and strengthen their families. And as, as Chapman Key said, this is part of it. We want to put our people first and our families first. And we want our kids and our spouses and our soldiers to feel connected, to make new friends. And, hey, I, I, I really love Fort Riley. All right, very good. And anything else, uh, Chaplain Key? No, I, I can just want to say thank you for the opportunity and thank you for uh, allowing us to share and to talk about how the families at Fort Riley um, are – becoming stronger and uh, they're working together, laughing together, they struggle together, but most importantly, they win together. And so we're excited about that. 
And so, again, we appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have you in here and always appreciate it. That's going to wrap up our Fort Riley segments. Thank you to our guests here. Again, uh, Lieutenant Colonel James Key and Major Chris Weinrich being on the show. Also, thanks to uh, our guests from earlier from uh, MWR, Ken Roynan. Stay tuned. We'll hear from the Manhattan Housing Authority up next on News Radio KMAN. We're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. And we switch gears. We go from Fort Riley, and uh, we're going to talk to Manhattan Housing Authority next, as we uh, typically do on the, f- was the second Thursday of the month. Yeah, second yeah. Thursday. And our, our meetings are usually the third Wednesday, so we try to do this the week about the Thursday before. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, Aaron Esterbrook's here. He's uh, joining us. He's the executive director. And you brought on a couple guests with you here this morning. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Brandon. This is such a great opportunity for us to talk to the community about what's going on with housing and uh, we got a commissioner, uh, one of our board of, com- we have a board of commissions, um, a board of directors, commissioners, uh, Ace Hall is here with us uh, for the first time, I think. Yes, sir. Um, and you've been on the board for about a year. Yep. Almost uh, coming Just up. Just sort of a year now. And then our public housing manager, Jeremy Meek, is with us, and he's been with the housing authority for five or six months, maybe yeah, seven months. December, into December. Yeah, yeah. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, pleasure to have you both in here. Uh, the topic here for today is Fair Housing Month, and uh, Aaron's going to shed some light on that for us. Yeah. So um, April each year is uh, our Fair Housing Month across the country, and a lot of people. So earlier this year, the the city, or earlier this month, the city issued a proclamation recognizing the month um, uh, for fair housing. Part of that goes back to uh, this kind of intertwined history with uh, Martin Luther King, the fair housing, uh, the civil rights and, and housing rights. Um, and I just was going to give you a brief history on that, but also uh, we're on the 54th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. Uh, it was a civil rights law signed by President Johnson on April 11, 1968. Um, it made discrimination in housing transactions unlawful. The Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, including gender identity and sexual orientation, disability, and familial status. The Act is intended to provide for fair housing throughout the country. The Fair Housing Act recognized what generations have known and where we live impacts nearly every part of our lives. Um, Fair Housing Month is a time to recommit to our mission to promote fairness, inclusion, and justice in housing. This month and every month, we are doing everything in our power to ensure every person has a fair shot at the American dream. Each April, like I said, HUD, uh, the, the local communities, fair housing advocates, fair housing organizations across the country celebrate Fair Housing Month by hosting various activities. The city of Manhattan is hosting um, an activity coming up in about a week. Um, you can get on the city website and find out how to get involved and participate in that. Um, but while most people are aware of Dr. Martin Luther King's, um, sorry, I just got a call. Doctor, uh, most people are aware of Dr. Martin Luther King's Jr. as a civil rights movement leader. Few are familiar with his role he played in the fair housing movement. During the early 20th century, black Americans were systematically deprived of sufficient quality housing because they were routinely and openly excluded 
from living in certain areas. Discrimination, intimidation, exclusion, and even violence segregated and relegated black people to low-income areas with poor quality housing. In his role as a civil rights leader, Dr. King recognized that the reality was a core component of racial injustice in the United States and decided to take action. And between 1965 and 66, Dr. King led the Chicago Freedom uh, co-led the Chicago Freedom Movement, a campaign which sought to challenge the discrimination in employment, education, and housing in Chicago. Um, Chicago was one of the most segregated, residentially segregated areas uh, of the country. Black home seekers in the city and surrounding suburbs were effectively barred from middle-class, predominantly white neighborhoods and prevented from sharing their demands with the city government leaders. Um, they began doing marches and other protests to bring attention to the issue. And between what, what re resulted was in August 1966, after approximately a year, the Chicago Housing Authority agreed, and the Chicago Housing Authority is one of the largest housing authorities in the country, agreed to build public housing in white middle-class areas and the Mortgage Bankers Association promised to stop discriminatory lending policies. But later, two years later, the Fair Housing Act became law. And the Fair Housing Act was signed into law one week after Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis. It was to honor his legacy. President Johnson used that time to really do one more important thing that Dr. King had uh, advocated for. But just a few months before that, there's a Manhattan tie in that Dr. King came and spoke at Ahern Fieldhouse to a packed 17,000 students um, about housing and Vietnam and all kinds of issues. And that was the last major speech he gave before he was assassinated. And then a week later, the Fair Housing Act became a law. So it all kind of comes Everything kind of flows through Manhattan, and, and we have a direct tie to Dr. King and the Fair Housing Act, and we kind of forget that connection, but wanted to point that out as our, our local history. That's great. Well, and, and I just want to uh, clarify, I, you, you mentioned uh, the event coming up with the city. I think it's tomorrow. The, oh, sorry, if it's tomorrow. <laughs> the Fair Housing Webinar, is that the? Yep, yep. So, yeah, and there's some information on the city's website, cityofmhk.com slash Fair housing. It starts uh, at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. If you want to take part in that, so yeah, good deal. Very nice. Yes, I'll tell you what. We I know we got a lot to cover here, so well, let's take a break, and we'll uh, we'll bring on uh, Ace and Jeremy here in the next segment. We'll do that here in a moment on News Radio KMAN. We're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN, and uh, talking with guests from the Manhattan Housing Authority again, uh, Aaron Estabrook, the executive director. He's got uh, two guests with him here today: Ace Hall, commissioner. And uh, Jeremy Meek, public housing manager, uh, go to Ace first here because uh, Ace uh, recently um, received training and certification uh, from NAHRO, and that's the National Association of Housing and Redevelopment um, Organization. What was that like going through that process? That was a pretty good certification and program that I was able to attend and have to reach out and say thank you for Aaron for bringing that up and giving me the ability to take it. That training had about 200 different board members from multiple housing authorities all across the nation, from people that were only in the job for a couple of weeks to there were people that had been board members for going on 20, 30, 
There was even somebody that had been on a board for 40 years. Hmm. Um, it gave a lot of insight for a lot of new board members, especially myself. I mean, I do have to say whenever I came on, I did receive really good training. Um, Aaron worked with me. Some of the other board members reached out to really make me feel comfortable. Um, and that is something that's not offered everywhere. Um, there was a lot of insight going back to different organizations that don't provide that. There are board members that are just kind of thrown into the job. They really have no background and really don't know what's going on in their communities. And that was really insightful to see how well we run here. Because, I mean, whenever I first joined, I didn't have much background besides what Aaron and some of the other board members had told me. So just to see how well we were run and managed here, it was, it was really nice. Um, my experience with MHA and the board really just kind of came from hearsay from the last few years. And so to see the direction we're going, um, how the board member or the board meetings are held, really kind of shed light to some really good things, really good practices that are going on here. Everything is very transparent. Um, everything's really open. I mean, if somebody has questions, if board members have questions of what's going on, it's always addressed, always explained, made sure there's nothing going on behind the scenes that people don't understand. A lot of cares are always taken and shed light to make sure that first and foremost, our community is taken care of and constantly day in and day out that we're trying to better the community. And it's very apparent that that's the direction that we're going. It's probably nice to get that perspective of seeing how other housing authorities are run here in the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, just examples. I mean, there are some housing authorities that don't really shed light on the financials. Nothing is explained where money's going. I mean, there are some really bad stories out there of some, some manipulations going on in housing authorities. Mm, that's not good. Well, what's the most exciting uh, about the future of the housing here in Manhattan, would you say? Um, most exciting would probably be really trying to help the community, help those people to get into houses. Um, the housing authority is always trying to bring on new committees, um, new organizations. Um, one of those trying to get a partnership with Habitat for Humanity, trying to really help build houses and build affordable housing in the area. I know working with Aaron and Jeremy, we're constantly trying to find new ways to better the community, better the housing for the people that are that we're serving. And if people want to get uh, kind of plugged into that and, and help, uh, what's a good way to do that? Um, probably the best way, especially if you want to get in touch with Manhattan Habitat for Humanity, um, just go to the website, mahfh.org, um, search Manhattan Habitat for Humanity. Um, they can serve through Restore, donations. Um, we have Financial Services Committee. Also through there, you can contact us, reach out to actually apply to potentially become a candidate for a home. Um, there's loads of jobs, volunteer opportunities out there to, to help serve your community. And I'll, I'll just add, this is Aaron. Um, one of the ways that we met Ace was because he volunteered to come speak um, to our the community, the population we serve, um, at, through the housing authority, he came and spoke about budgeting, um, how to you know how how to qualify for a home loan, and how 
some of those stigmas and maybe myths exist for people that feel like they're in low income and they will never be able to afford a home. Um, Ace showed up and, and kind of busted some of those myths and showed him a pathway. And so he's been a, uh, we've been a fan of his for, for about a year now. And we're just happy to have him on the board um, to continue that. And if people want to come and, and speak or, or do things, I think Ace, is, Ace and myself would be super willing to, to find a way to, to get you plugged into the housing authority to, to make that work. All right. Well, great to learn more about you, Ace, here. I'm going to talk with Jeremy a little bit, bring him on the program. This Jeremy's the public housing manager. So uh, you've been here, well, you said since December? Yeah, uh, the end of December. Okay. So uh, what were some of your impressions about public housing uh, while being on the outside? Well, I worked with the, in the community a lot um, in the social services field. So a uh, case manager worked uh, with Pawnee at the crisis stabilization unit. So I worked with clients and um, helping them get housing. So I kind of had that perspective from it, um, but didn't know a lot about it. Kind of like you guys were saying, sometimes public housing has like a stigma attached to it or kind of like a negative, almost like a negative uh, light that people think they they have all these myths about it that just aren't true. Um, And so I probably fell into maybe some of those categories just because I was not educated about it. Um, now being on the other side, um, I realize how important it is. And I also realize how complex it is and the layers that are involved in public housing. Um, the need for it, I think it needs to be, um, communicated and talked about more. Um, and also one of the things I wrote down that I learned since being in here is like the communication and follow through with all the tenants, um, that's really important. Um, whether it's from like complaints or them just needing to be heard. And that's something I've really tried to do since I came on is, um, I return every single phone call, every single email. Um, I just make myself available as much as possible, um, for our tenants so they can, and that makes them feel better that they know someone's listening. They know somebody cares. Um, and that's really important, uh, through that whole interaction part of it. Um, the other things I brought today were just some of our numbers, like on our, our vacancy reports and our occupancy, and I wanted to share some of those numbers with you guys today. All right. So at our we have six uh, public housing sites total. Um, four of them are family sites, and then our two other sites, which is Carlson Plaza and Apartment Towers. Um, so our two of our family sites were at 100%, so we're... When we're talking about occupancy, occupancy as as if uh, so one of the yeah just to kind of give a a tie in here one of the most important metrics that we use in evaluating ourselves is our you know how we're providing services to the community we know there's a tremendous need and there's no excuse to have vacant public housing units so our goal is to achieve 100 percent what what Jeremy just said is is really an awesome metric for us to hit that we're at 100% in a couple of our properties. Um, and sorry, I just wanted to, to clarify that because it is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. Uh, two of our sites were at 100%. Um, our other site, Bear Place, were at 95%. And then Apartment Towers were at 91%. So at the moment, our numbers are really good. And um, we're also in that phase of moving uh, 
transferring the tenants from Carlson Plaza to apartment towers as units become available. And that's a big, a big project in itself also. Right. I might just ask you real quick. So uh, you mentioned it's important to be a 100%. Why, why is that? It's important because um, this is a public good, right? So if we have housing and we have uh, units, then they need to be used. And part of that is because uh, there, we know the need exists. There's over 200 people on our waiting list. Um, there's about six to 700 people on the waiting list for Section 8. There's a huge need for affordable housing in our community. So uh, it's unacceptable for the housing authority to have vacancies in my mind and because we have such a tremendous need. So whatever it takes, usually the vacancies at this point are just turnover. Um, we have to do maintenance and get the walls cleaned up, you know, repair any things that might be damaged. And then our goal is to get somebody, the next person in line into that unit within 14 days. Um, so being, being in that world of, be, it's hard to be at 100%, and, but that's great because you want them to stay if they're there. Um, but uh, we'll, pro we'll probably always be between 95 and 100 just because of that natural turnover as people progress in their lives and move. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. Uh, thanks for clarifying. Um, and as far as uh, some other stats, do you have some more you want to share? Um, yeah, I can talk about the, uh, the spectrum of, like, the people, the demographics of public housing. Okay. Um, and really here in Manhattan, I kind of see it uh, kind of goes the whole spectrum we have from – younger people to elderly. Um, we have, we serve people that are like transitioning out of homelessness that we serve. Um, we have like other elderly disabled. Uh, then we have disabled, which can be anything from a physical disability to like a mental health. Um, we, I also see a lot of, um, people that are coming out maybe of like a abusive relationship and they're needing that to change their life. And, uh, so we're, we're serving people like that, which I see like a lot of females, you know, when it comes to that situation, uh, single parents. I mean, it's just, um, like I said, it runs the whole spectrum and it's, it's really, it's really good that we can help as many people as possible on that spectrum. There, there's a, a stigma associated with like who, who qualifies and it's almost a self, self, uh, sabotaging stigma because there may be people um, that are entry-level positions all over our community that are making uh, $40,000 or $35,000. You know, they're, they're getting paid $15, $16, $17 an hour. They qualify for public housing. They, in their minds, probably think public housing's for somebody that it doesn't have a job or um, is making much less than they are. That is not true, and part of that is because of our wages haven't kept up with the cost of housing, but it's also important that we understand as a community that our entry-level teachers and so many different people, even associated with the, the university, are eligible for public housing. Yeah, so so good to, yeah, there's, as you mentioned, there's all these stigmas out there, and, and you know, even me, thinking here, like, uh, there's probably a lot of single mothers out there that are living in public housing. And it's not just them. There could be some single fathers. It could be uh, any number of folks. I know minorities uh, are falling into that category as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, we, we want uh, the housing initially, um, housing was not even income qualified 
uh, it was actually a result of the 1937 Housing Act um, out of the Great Depression because housing was, it's, it's just a fundamental need for everybody to have a home, to have a roof, and then you can really contribute to your country, to your community, and do things beyond your own self. But until you have that need met, um, you can't really do, you can't live up to the full potential that you have. So it's it's income qualified to an extent now, 80% of the area median income, but it initially, and the idea is people just need to have housing. Um, and we're trying to work through the market. ACE is working through the market and trying to find ways and avenues and habitat and all these different ways to get housing available. But um, we, we want to push back against that stigma that public housing is only for a certain type of person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the stigma that it's only for a certain type of person definitely needs to be taken out. I mean, a lot of the people that I've talked to and work with are just in a transition period. I mean, there's somebody that I'm working with now that's actually going through Habitat that I met through speaking at the housing authority that she started off, she was fine by herself through life circumstances. She has to adopt four of her family members. She has four kids under the age of 10 in her home. And so she just needed some help and that's all it was. And she started there. I started working with her financially. We got her set up with um, Habitat and now she's on her way to having her own home built. Good, good for her. Uh, yeah, life happens sometimes, and you know it's important to remember that. Well, Aaron, appreciate you coming on. Ace and uh, Jeremy, good to meet you. Yeah, good awesome. to meet you. Thank Absolutely. You. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. All right. If you missed any of this, uh, we will have it up online at newsradiokman.com shortly. And you can uh, check these podcasts out anytime you want, anywhere you get your podcasts. Coming up tomorrow, we've got a uh, full program. Greg McClure, we'll hear from uh, Liz Nelson at the Senior Center, and uh, some others as well.